afternoon. I'm Charles Lee. And I'm Elise Kovic. And this is the Grok Science Show. Coming up on today's program, Tariq Malik will join us to discuss developments going on in space. Science. Science. All right, it's coming right up here on the Grok Science Show. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Science Show. Well, it's the final frontier, space, and it's more fascinating than you can possibly imagine. 2010 was an amazing year for space-related events, and 2011 promises to be no different. Join us today to discuss what 2011 holds in store for space is Tariq Malik. Mr. Malik is managing editor at space.com and covered issues for the Los Angeles Times before feeling the higher calling to explore the fascinating world of human spaceflight and space science. Mr. Malik, thank you very much for joining us today on Grok's Science Show. Well, thanks for having us. Really great to have you on the program to uh, talk about the neat things that are going on in science uh, both this year and last year. I'm wondering if maybe you can recap some of the highlights of space events for 2010. Well, uh, last year was very exciting. It was not lacking in big space events and and controversy as well. Uh, We kind of kicked off 2010 with the President Barack Obama's unveiling of a brand new space plan for NASA, which scrapped the agency's old uh, moon-oriented plan to to send humans back to the moon by 2020 and replaced it with one that is uh, taking aim at sending uh, humans to an asteroid and then maybe uh, onto Mars uh, in the 2030s. So that was a pretty interesting start to the year, and it was uh, met with a lot of uh, opposition, both by lawmakers and the public, because I think a lot of folks were attached to the moon. And uh, that's still going on now, that uh, back and forth this year in 2011. But some of the other big highlights last year, we had uh, several space shuttle missions. Uh, of course, um, a lot of private uh, spacecraft uh, made their first flights. The country, the California company SpaceX launched their first uh, Falcon 9 rocket, the big uh, two-stage rocket. Then in December, they capped it with the first ever private space capsule demonstration. And then for the rest of us that maybe don't have millions of dollars to buy a rocket, Virgin Galactic started test flying their space tourist suborbital craft, uh, the Spaceship 2, around the, the, mid, the mid to the end of the year. So that, that's uh, pretty exciting on a lot of the spaceflight fronts in 2010. And it looks like it's going to be even busier in 2011. So it sounds like there's a general move away from the government-funded space exploration to now incorporating more and more of the private enterprise in, in this process. Exactly. With the uh, NASA Space Shuttle program slated to end this year, there's going to be a much bigger push on private and commercial spacecraft, both the big guns who are building their rockets to go all the way to orbit, and then these, these other adventures to give space tourists and enthusiasts a chance to maybe get a taste of weightlessness on suborbital flights. Mm-hmm. 2010, we also saw a total lunar eclipse. That's right. There was a, it capped the, the year with the uh, total lunar eclipse. It was a, a pretty rare one because it also happened on the, the equinox, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So it, the moon turned in blood red for that eclipse at the, uh, in the middle of uh, December. There's a, a total solar eclipse, one only, in 2010 as well, uh, around the middle of the year. And 
we just had a solar eclipse to start off 2011, the beginning of January, and that's the first of several partial solar eclipses, not total, that we're going to see this year. But there are several uh, lunar eclipses uh, as well coming up later this year. Mm. Also, we saw blizzards on Saturn. Blizzards on Saturn, the lightning around Saturn also, and some other, I think, big, big, big news in terms of the water on the moon. Some of the major discoveries in, in 2010, um, just new, new information on the, the weather, the weather on the planets in our, in our solar system, as well as, uh, in fact, the discovery of other planets uh, beyond our solar system, because 2010 also marked the 500th alien planet. Uh, extrasolar planet discovered out in the cosmos. We're now, I think, around 518, and it's still January. So, The discovery of these exoplanets, they seem to be refining the size of the planets that they can find. That's right. In fact, just last week, scientists announced that they had found what they think is the smallest ever alien planet, an extrasolar planet. It's out and uh, it's, uh, 300 or so light years away, and it's about 1.5 times the size of Earth. And that's the smallest they've been able to see yet. So that's a, a big deal for them. I think it's rocky. They're excited to be able to pin that part down, too, because, of course, Earth is rocky. Now, that planet is much too close to its star to be conducive to life at all. But this, just the fact they're able to see that type of planet, uh, they're really excited about it. So, of course, that kind of brings up the larger question of the ongoing search for life on other planets. Well, I think that they're more optimistic now because it seems like the number of smaller planets, which they didn't know about maybe 10, 15 years ago, is actually much higher than they had expected. They thought maybe we'll find a lot of these giant uh, hot Jupiters, these giant planets really close to their stars, or just a bunch of gas giants very far away, which is pretty much all they were finding, as you mentioned earlier, in the uh, early search. Now they're thinking that there's uh, hundreds, if not millions, of these smaller rocky planets uh, at proper distances to be in uh, what they call the habitable zone for their stars. So they're, they're really looking forward to finding what other missions like NASA's Kepler spacecraft, uh, which is hunting for these planets right now, uh, are going to find out. There's a conference at the end of this year to look at all of the planets that this Kepler spacecraft has found. They're thinking maybe 700-plus Earth-like planets or, or alien planets uh, that, that are just waiting to be confirmed by this machine. And they just started operation with that last year. So it could, it could open up the universe in terms of alien planets uh, that, we, that we learn about uh, over the next year or, or even next few years. What is Kepler actually supposed to be looking for? Well, Kepler is looking for signs of planets around other stars by the effect they have on the star's light. It's, uh, it basically stares at the same patch of stars 24-7, uh, doesn't blink, and any of those pinpoints of light as they dim when a planet uh, crosses in front of the star, it records that. And then it, it, it tells astronomers, hey, someone should look at this with a, another telescope to confirm it. And if they, if they confirm, in fact, that there's dimming going on, this, this transiting method is what they call, then they start you know, measuring what kinds of effects that planet might be having, its attributes and whatnot, around the, the star. So these must be very minute changes that, that they can observe. Oh, it's very tiny. In fact, the, the Kepler instrument, it, it's actually not a telescope per se. They call it a photometer uh, because all it does is measure the light differences, very tiny, minute differences that uh, you and I would not be able to see if we were like, staring at a, a star in the sky. Are there more and more advances being made in astronomical detecting equipment? Well, there's actually uh, work going on right now to build a completely new telescope. It's called the James Webb Space Telescope. NASA is building that, that that's telescope to um, hopefully peer back as far back as possible towards 
the Big Bang 13.7 billion years ago. Uh, it's an infrared telescope, so it only looks at heat and infrared radiation. It's not going to generate the pictures that uh, we're all used to with the Hubble Space Telescope. But the, the advances they've made in terms of infrared detection have made it what, what, what they hope to be the most powerful infrared instrument when it launches. And they're hoping that it's going to push back what astronomers can see closer towards the beginning of, of time as we know it in the universe. Hmm. So really a better view of what the early universe was like. Exactly. Hmm. So 2011 is going to bring a host of very monumental events. It's going to be the 50th anniversary of human spaceflight. The 50th anniversary of human spaceflight on April 12th, the same day that NASA's space shuttle program will turn 30. The first space shuttle, NASA's uh, Columbia Orbiter, launched on April 12th, 1981. So the program will turn 30 at the same time that it, the program is retiring this year. NASA hopes to launch three shuttle flights this year. And then kind of in between all that, between now and April, there's a rendezvous with a comet coming up on Valentine's Day, another spacecraft, NASA's Messenger probe, which is going to arrive around orbit around Mercury in March. So we already have a pretty busy schedule in terms of the solar system exploration, human exploration, and that's just the first quarter. So it looks like it's going to be a pretty packed, brief packed year. Yeah, it's going to also mark the end of the shuttle program. That's right. NASA hopes to launch two scheduled missions on the shuttle Discovery and Endeavor by April to complete construction of the International Space Station. And then they're, they're also hoping that sometime in the summer they can launch a, a final flight to kind of top up supplies on the space station. And then after that, that's pretty much it. The shuttles are slated to go to museums. Um, there's a competition uh, across the country right now on who gets those space shuttles, how they're going to be displayed so that uh, the rest of us can maybe pop our heads and, and uh, sit in the seats. Then the next big shift is going to be on private spaceflight, what these, these new commercial companies are, are building so that maybe NASA can rent seats from them or, or the rest of us can buy seats. Oh, wow. And NASA's aim then will be also to move towards more rocket-type vehicles? Exactly. NASA has actually expressed an interest in buying seats or spacecraft from private suppliers uh, like SpaceX, who have, uh, are competing for funding to turn their unmanned spacecraft into manned spacecraft. And then they also have been uh, working steadily with Lockheed Martin on their own successor to the shuttle, the Orion space capsule. That has a place in NASA's new plan for the president. Right now, it's kind of up in the air if it's only going to be used as an escape ship for the space station or as kind of the core of a deep space mission, you know, out to an asteroid. We're still trying to, to see how that's going to shake out. Hmm. Do you think this is a better move for NASA? There's sort of histories of long entrenched bureaucracies in NASA that led to the problems. Is it better? Do you think they're moving more towards the private enterprise? Well, I think that the shift towards private enterprise was inevitable. All of the spacecraft that we see launching now are built by one company or, or another under contract with NASA. The rise of private spaceships in general was going to come sooner or later. The fact that NASA is kind of embracing commercial spaceflight as a tool uh, as, as opposed to an adversary is, is encouraging in that it, it, it kind of gives several redundant uh, opportunities for access to space uh, once the shuttles uh, are gone. Because once they retire this year, right now the, the United States will not have its own independent access to space until these private spacecraft become available. They'll be dependent on um, Russia to take astronauts to the space station, on Japan, Russia, and uh, uh, Europe to launch cargo to the space station. Any development on that front in the U.S. will be um, an asset NASA can draw upon in this gap between its own uh, spacecraft uh, development. Mm. I think a lot of people who are watching the Mars rovers the past several years have felt as if unmanned missions have been a lot more successful or have been more pointed in a way than a lot of the manned missions. Do you think that's a greater focus now of, of the agency? 
Well, you know, I think that the there's no denying that the Mars rovers in particular have been just an amazing success. They were built for 90 days uh, to explore for 90 days on Mars, and here we are into the eighth year. Mm-hmm. They just celebrated their, their tenth, uh, seventh birthday on the Martian surface just, just this month. So they, they've begun their eighth year, and that's, that's pretty amazing. And it does say that there's a place for robotic exploration. NASA will tell you that human astronauts could have accomplished so much more in, in those seven years uh, than these robots could. But they're, they're definitely the vanguard. NASA plans to launch two robotic probes to the moon in 2011. One is called GRAIL. The other is called LADY, L-A-D-E-E. And the goal is basically to reconnoiter the moon uh, and find out more about what it's made out of, what its uh, surface is like, just in more detail to set the stage for future human exploration. Also, Curiosity is going to be sent to Mars? That's right. In, in November right now, the next Mars rover, this one is much more powerful than Spirit or Opportunity, is slated to launch towards Mars. This is a behemoth of a, of a Mars probe, where the other ones had to use solar power for their uh, operations. This one has a, uh, a nuclear power plant uh, that keeps it, that'll keep it warm and, and, and working for much longer than the rovers that are there now work to go. It's larger than that. It's about the size of a car, small car, as opposed to the golf cart size of the rovers there now. And it has a laser, which is, I think, the coolest part of this, of this rover. It's going to fire this laser at rocks and whatnot, and the gas, you know, study it to see what, what it's made out of. The idea would be that if there's any organic molecules, organic material, things that could be the precursors for life, this rover is expected to find it. That would be a, a, a huge confirmation because, of course, NASA's been trying to find out if life ever did exist on Mars. This would be a, a big tool for them to figure that out for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you think men will ever go to Mars? I think that uh, they have a better chance now than maybe they ever had since the, the Apollo program. The, the idea to develop an infrastructure that NASA's current plan has now with you know, the deep space tools that they're going to build for this asteroid plan, which they could then repurpose towards Mars, I think they've got a, a decent chance if everything happens as they're hoping it's going to. Now, they, they still need the funding for these programs. They, they don't have that yet. The Congress is, that's in session now is, is still waiting to ratify a lot of that uh, legislation. So we're going to have to see how that plays out because funding will, it will determine if the chances that NASA has to reach Mars by 2030 actually play out. Charles, I have to interrupt here. Are men only the ones who are going to get to explore? <laughs> yes. What about women? women? The women. Well, we have women listeners here. <laughs> I'm sure we do. And I would point out that NASA's chief astronaut right now is Peggy Whitson. Mm-hmm. She's a former commander of the International Space Station, a, a Ph.D. civilian, not a military uh, astronaut. And uh, there's actually a, a female astronaut on the space station right now, Katie Coleman. And, uh, I mean, definitely... The human endeavor that is space exploration <laughs> is the focus for NASA right now. Uh, it's not a, a place for, for men only or for Americans only. The International Space Station, there's um, an Italian, two Americans, and three Russians on the space station right now. And that's um, kind of an example of what they, they hope to keep as they push for, you know, further out back to the moon, perhaps, or an asteroid or Mars. They'd like to keep that international aspect of it. So 2011 coming up, what's the most exciting thing you're looking forward to? I have to admit, I do like rocket ships, uh-huh. so I am looking forward to the two or three test flights of these brand new private rockets that, that we uh-huh. have coming later this year. SpaceX plans to launch their Dragon spaceship. By the way, um, 
calling your spaceship dragon is just pretty awesome. <laughs> so, uh, and they've got a, a great sticker on the side of, of those spaceships. So they've got several test flights of the, of the unmanned robot dragon spaceships coming up. The Air Force, in the next couple months, they have a robotic space plane called the Orbital Test Vehicle. They're going to launch their second one sometime in the next few months. Those are classified spacecraft. Once, mm. they, once they launch, they don't, they don't tell us what, what the, those things do. And there's a bunch of uh, actual amateur astronomers who track this stuff. And then they, they send us notes about what they've seen. NASA launched, the Air Force launched the, the first one last year. It was silent for seven months, but all, all, all we heard was observations from these amateur astronomers. So we're, we're looking forward to seeing how that plays out this year, too, because it's a, a pretty cool thing, but all we see is, is the launch and landing. We don't get to see the actual um, mission in, in space. And near the end of the year, over in Virginia, there's another company, Orbital Sciences. They're building their own rocket, their own robot cargo ship, and they're hoping to launch this, this thing on its first test flight to the space station as well. It's, it's definitely kind of a packed year for, for orbital traffic, and then, of course, Virgin Galactic is going to be flying Spaceship 2, uh, hopefully the first crewed flights this year, uh, possibly even into space. So. Wow. What about other countries? How are they progressing? Well, uh, there's, Europe is making progress with their own Mercury spacecraft. Japan has a, uh, a solar sail that, that they launched this past year that they're, they, they have headed for, um, well, I guess to the other side of the sun right now. It was on its way to Venus in September when they launched it. And then there's, there's several other missions that are in progress as well. Europe has the Rosetta spacecraft. It's, it's headed for a comet. And Japan has a Venus probe that missed the planet at the very end of December, but they're hoping that they can salvage that one and bring it back to Venus uh, later. So, and there's, there's several other spacecraft that are in, you know, waiting uh, in the wings. Uh, Europe plans to launch their second robotic cargo ship. It's called the Automated Transfer Vehicle. Uh, later this year, in fact, on Saturday, Japan has their own robot cargo ship. They're looking forward to, to launching that one uh, towards the space station on Saturday. Definitely a lot to juggle the space news world, both for spaceships and for, for science expeditions. Indeed, indeed. The website, space.com, that you're managing editor of, has a, a little section, Top 10 Strangest Things in Space. I'm wondering how uh, science progressing in terms of answering some of these questions, like what is antimatter, dark matter? You know, it seems like that scientists are getting uh, closer towards understanding a lot of these really weird things that they're finding in the universe. There's a question. It's open for debate as to whether or not they've actually pinpointed some dark matter in, in certain parts of the universe. And uh, just last week, they announced that they found out that thunderstorms on Earth are creating antimatter particle beams that spacecraft can, can see from orbit, which was just pretty, pretty surprising from, from my perspective. But, uh, but they're, they're, it seems like they're, they're getting better at detecting them and getting better at knowing where to look to hopefully detect other ones in the future. Wow. Running slightly out of time, I'm wondering if you have some final words about the upcoming year in space, the website space.com, or anything else you'd like to add. Uh, looking forward to the next year uh, coming up, uh, what the next big science uh, story is going to be, and what the next big mission is going to be. I think as the technology progresses, uh, we're going to see some wonderful things in space, and hopefully we'll be there to see it. Mr. Malik, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show and talking to us about uh, all the cool things going on in space in the upcoming year. Thank you. Thank you. And you were just listening to Mr. Tark Mollock talking about uh, the great things going on uh, in space. And listening to the Grok Science Show back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. Be right back.
it's time to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue, and today the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic Exploring the Final Frontier, or Stuck on Earth. So for the following five individuals, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they would be more likely to explore the Final Frontier or just stuck on Earth, and maybe a little reason why. Mr. Malik, you ready to play the game? Uh, I think I am, yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Person number one, Exploring the Final Frontier or Stuck on Earth, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, I, I think that Tiger Woods is stuck on Earth. I think that he's still trying to, to, to recover from some difficulties he may have had in the last couple of years and uh, that he won't be golfing on the moon anytime soon. Okay, I'm, I'm going to do a bad impression here. Number two, now Spock, it's William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> that was really bad. Think, but <laughs> that was the best ever. <laughs> I, think, I think William Shatner is, is definitely uh, exploring the, the final frontier. I mean, he's got his, 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 his new sitcom with expletives galore, and his legacy, uh, that is Star Trek, is, seems to be you know, firing on more cylinders than, than ever before. So I think he's a, a good future with warp speed ahead. <laughs> All, right. All right, number three, Richard Branson. Well, Richard Branson definitely is uh, going to be exploring the. the <laughs> yeah, he's going to be exploring the final frontier. He's got a new book out already about um, uh, private spaceflight and, and his whole uh, adventuring life. And I mean, the guy has a spaceship named after his mom. I mean, that's, that's I love. think that's enough said there. So. <laughs> now, um, what about this one? This one's going to be a tough one to answer. Steve Jobs. Oh, Steve Jobs, I have to say he's stuck on, on Earth right now. I know that he's having his own uh, problems and, and that the, um, there's always a challenge with what the new iPhone or, or iPad's going to bring to us. So uh, I think until he finds a new, uh, a new tool and gets one of those iPads in space, he'll be stuck on Earth for the time being. I, th I think his ego might be out in space, though. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I... That, that's quite possible. Um, and then finally, Rahm Emanuel. I would have to say stuck on Earth largely because I'm drawing a blank right now. <laughs> He's, he might just be our future mayor here in Chicago. He is the former White House Chief of Staff for Obama. He's got a potty mouth. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a little bit difficult to be mayor from space. All right, well, uh, Mr. Malik, I want to thank you very much for sticking around playing the game and, uh, again, talking about all the great things going on in space and, of course, uh, all the um, great stuff you're doing over there at Space.com. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you for having us. All right. It was our pleasure. Well, this is uh, the Grok Science Show. Here you're listening to, uh, I've been your host, Charles Lee. And I have been your host, Elise Kovic. <sighs> what would we do without Elise Kovic? Wow, seriously, I... people. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the show would take off. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, everybody, uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And we will see you in a couple weeks. Oh, and by the way, Charles is about to post... The Sounds of Science. All right, yes, The Sounds of Science will be on, on the web for you to listen to. For all the people who enjoyed it during its original broadcast, you can hear it over and over and over again. Maybe even cry yourself to sleep by it. Mm -hmm. I know I do. Um, anyway, so <laughs> uh, contact us here, science at grox.net. We're on the web, www.grox.net. Uh, Facebook and, and this Twitter thing again. I don't do that. We're trying to get the tweeting going. I don't tweet. Nobody. All right. Twi uh, we're tweeting, tweeting, twittering, whatever the verb is. Do uh, check us out there and stay tuned. We'll be back to more from the world of science. <laughs>